Hello everyone, welcome to today's episode. Today I'm going to be talking about joy and inclusivity and um, basically the beauty of sustainable fashion. I'm taking a bit of a step back from the hardcore sustainability talk as that's kind of what I've talked about throughout my entire journey on this podcast, which is great and I love doing that. That's what I'm like super, super passionate about. But I also didn't want us to forget the importance of joy and inclusivity in fashion and all the other issues that are, you know, within this fashion system that aren't only um, sustainability or human rights or environmentally uh, focused. So today I'm joined by Ogi Ajibi. Um, and I know I'm pronouncing that wrong, but you know, it is what it is. <laughs> and we're talking about size inclusivity and gender inequality in fashion. We also talk about how OG was able to build a sustainable fashion brand using what she called dead fabric and bringing them to life. So there is, of course, sustainability embedded in this episode as I obviously cannot live without it, but that's not the main focus. We talk about that for like 10 minutes at the end of the episode. It's The bulk is really mostly about finding joy in fashion and also feeling comfortable in your own skin um, and how connected sustainable fashion particularly can be to your confidence or your self-expression. And I also talk a little bit about my journey with fashion and even before I started Nature Spired. But it was really enjoyable to hear what OG had to say about joy in fashion and inclusivity and the importance of all of that fun stuff. So grab your favorite comfort drink and join us for this joyful chat about self-expression and inclusivity. Thank you so much, OG, for being here on the podcast. I'm so excited to finally get to talk to you after so long of wanting to have this conversation. Um, welcome. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for inviting me. I'm excited. Finally, it's happening. So, yes. <laughs> I know. I know we've been trying to organize this for, I don't know, it's been around three months now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's. I'm glad. I'm really glad. Um, so today, I'm really excited to speak to you because we're going to be talking a lot about uh, joy and inclusivity and really just everything that OG Ajib is about. And please tell me, am I pronouncing that wrong? No, that's fine. That's actually okay. How is it properly pronounced? I want to get it right. Yeah, it's actually okay, Ajibi, but the truth is that for me, it's actually okay. Okay, I'll get that memorized. <laughs> so I've been saying your name wrong this whole time. That's, uh, my, my own name, you can just call me OG. That's letter O and letter G. But my, my business name is my uh, first name and my last name together, if that makes sense. That's a really nice uh, first and last name because it actually sounds like a really creative brand name. <laughs> if I didn't know that was your name, it would, I'd be yeah, like, oh, how did she come up with that? <laughs> I had a different name before. But when I rebranded, I had to change it because I didn't own the rights to the name. Like there were other people out there that had like had the name. So I was like, okay, just to avoid any legal issues in the future, let me just use my own name. I noticed it was a fashion voice, right? Or voice yeah. of fashion. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so I wanted to start a conversation talking about inclusivity for a moment. Um, I recently read somewhere that approximately 67% of women in the U.S. are above a size 16, 
but for fashion week in spring 2021 and in most stores only 36 models out of over 2000 were plus size so I'd love if you could either tell me a bit more about your experience with size inclusivity or exclusivity and what was it that kind of clicked that made you push you to start making your own clothes um for me I would just say it just came naturally to me. I know a lot of people will be like, probably because you are a plus woman. I was, um, I have, uh, I just became a plus woman like three years ago. A lot of people will not believe that because I kind of came into the lights three years ago. But before then, I was like around size eight, size 10, size 12. So I've always been on the um, smaller size. Body, uh, things happen by body changes. So even when I was still back in fashion school as of 2018, <laughs> All my drawings are like plus people. For, for, for some reason, I just liked drawing clothes on folks that are bigger. It just made more sense to me. You understand? Yeah. Right? So I, I obviously I make my own clothes, but leaving fashion school, where I started understanding that um, inclusivity in fashion wasn't even a thing. My first experience was in, in fashion school, where I noticed that when I draw my figures to be bigger, my teacher would be like, okay, wow, that's quite unique. And I'm like, I don't, I don't see anything wrong, <laughs> right? It's like, have yeah. you been outside? That's not really unique. <laughs> so like, I, I, was also, I was also the only black student in the class, but I've been, even though I've not been on the bigger side, I've been a coffee person, like even when I was way slimmer. So obviously you could see my cough from my clothes. So she always be like, oh yeah, some people are quite unique. And I'm like, okay, that doesn't add up. Is my body unique or is it my drawing that is unique? Anyways, so if we, well, my last project, I kind of did a project on like um, like being real in the fashion industry and people's body. So that was the first time I started kind of noticing that the fashion industry is actually not inclusive. So when I started, when I decided to start my own brand, I was like, oh wow, this is actually a thing. There was no mm-hmm. textbooks, there was no YouTube videos, and I was like. Oh, okay. So I kind of walked into it and noticed this industry is actually dead. That's crazy. And yeah, that's actually something I've noticed a lot in fashion. It it carries actually back to even when fashion became like a thing of something that you are wearing as a form of expression before. And when you think about it, a lot of the fashion brand Uh, owners and CEOs they're all men so they're pushing a body stereotype that they would imagine to be perfect but in reality like most of us out here are not that stereotype and it's it isn't even a stereotype because like we're not even that you know like if it was a stereotype it would mean that most of us are in that section but you know, most of the models and the runway shows and even in stores, you will find you're lucky if you find a, find a size 10. Like I gained a bit of weight in the past year and now I'm like a size a 12 to 14 kind of thing. And it's hard now. And I'm like, this is insane. Like, I don't I I'm not like a large plus plus size. And I can't even imagine like the the problem, you know, there's just so much injustice with that. And I feel like that's why there aren't enough women running businesses (laughs) yeah it will surprise you that the women that works the most of all these big brands don't wear their clothes because them that make the clothes don't make the clothes that fits them exactly that's so true even in fashion school some of the teachers they don't like 
they don't even teach you to make the sizes that fit you. They just have a standard size eight. The mannequins is school size eight. So it's, it's, it's strange. I don't know. It's like, it's a system that is existing, I guess. So nobody wants to do anything about it. They're like, you know what, it's cool. Let's just think. I'm like, it's not okay. It's not normal. The school system should change, but. A hundred percent. I agree. I looked on your site and I saw that you mentioned that fashion was a way to express yourself when you were growing up. And I thought we could talk about a little bit more about how important fashion is for joy and expression, because I know in this podcast, I talk a lot about sustainability and ethics, but I don't really dig in too much about fashion, which is what made me start it and how a powerful tool it is for expression. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on the connection between joy and fashion and what that means for you. You can already see my face smiling. <laughs> yeah. And fashion. Fashion is a tool to express. Um, I don't, I, I'm very, very sure because I've met some of my clients in person. And before I started what I'm doing now, I used to do custom made clothing where people come to my home. That was when I was still working from my home. I'll take measurements for them for like prom dresses, wedding dresses. And firsthand, I've experienced, I've experienced the joy that people get when they wear a clothes that fits their body, especially the, especially the plus size folks, the bigger folks. I've seen the joy firsthand. And also with me using colors, like clothing that fits you, clothing that makes you look beautiful for some reason changes a lot. Like it changes a lot. Oh, yeah. I've not done this research recently, but when I was rebranding, I tried to do research on how clothing kind of tends to affect our moods when it comes to like what you how you wear does it change your mood does it help with depression and there's actually a documentary very few that's actually out there that the way we dress like wearing something that we love wearing something that feels good can actually change our situation and change the way we feel do you know how many times i've gotten clothes i've made clothes and i stand in front of people i'm like I look hot. <laughs> like, I'm like, yes, good. If not for anything, at that moment, I'm taking it all in. So I've told myself, if my clothing is going to be a bit of source of joy to people in this world, I am going to do it. And then I'm also, I also tend to add colors to my clothes. So if that's going to help, I'm here for it. So there's, yeah, there's actually a documentary. There's actually um, articles there the back of the, the statement that clothes actually helps with people's mental health. Like, I know a lot of people, like, let me go for window shopping. That's a kind of therapy, even though they're not buying. They're just seeing the clothes. They're just trying them. So even dressing up, oh, I used to play dressed up a lot. That was before my brands took off. When I used to have time, I used to play dress up clothes. <laughs> like, I would just dress up. I will take pictures just to see how clothes looks on me. So, yeah, like, yeah, I agree. I I agree. I think um, that's actually something, one of the main reasons why I actually came into sustainability in fashion as well, because before, and not a lot of people know this, but before I started Nature Spired, I was actually writing a fashion blog and I used to like get outfits almost on the weekly, like it's so painful to say, but I used to shop a lot for my blog. Yeah. And then I realized, you know, the impacts of fashion. And I was like, well, now I don't feel good about it. And I kind of wanted to find a way to make it still feel good, like the clothes that I'm wearing and that connection of joy and self-expression to come from 
the sustainable components or like the ethical components as well as the the way that the garment feels on my skin so I definitely relate to to that um I wanted to ask if because fashion can say, play such a pivotal role in confidence as a whole yeah. what's your go-to advice for staying confident in your own skin regardless of your size or um, being marginalized or how the world might perceive you? Um, um, I, don't, I don't really want to say I'm more of a practical type of person, but um, I, I just got to the stage in life. Um, it takes time to get there where you tell yourself, do you know what? This is the only body I live in. I don't have any other body. Yes. <laughs> Love that. This is the skin color I live in. I don't have any other skin color. It's hard. Especially when it comes to, except for someone like me who have experienced different body changes in the space of five years or three years, I've lost weight, but intentionally I've gained. It's not like I was dieting or anything. My body, for some reason, decided, you know what, I'm going to make changes without your permission. <laughs> yes, I'm going to continue. Yeah, so we're just trying to make peace. And Guess how I started making peace? I legit sat myself down and I was like, I looked myself in the mirror a couple of times and I'm like, I legit pitched myself. I'm like, this is the only body you live in. No matter how you treat it, no matter how bad you treat it, it's not going anywhere. You are going to live with this body. So it's either you start accepting it now or start taking care of it, or you're going to accept it and start taking care of it in the next two years or three years. And you then start regretting why you didn't start doing it earlier. So for mm-hmm. me personally, it's more of like trying to talk to myself. And also when my body started changing, I still didn't have to start looking for clothes that fits me. Yes, that's a I big one. Fit into clothes that didn't fit, that was old. But when I started going for clothes that fits me, I was like, okay, yeah, there is a change. You understand? So yeah. it's just more of like an internal kind of thing. Uh, the word is brutal, is hard. The word is brutal to women, to folks that inspires women uh, when it comes to bodies. is hard, but I feel like learning to shut things out, learning to mute anybody who wants to mute on social media, um, let's avoid anyone you have to avoid for your own mental health. Go ahead, go ahead and do it. It's just more of like, in everything that matters is you and your body. Yeah, that's just that's just all I have to say. I love that. So, you know, the main takeaway, I guess, is like self-compassion and just feeling joy in your own skin and also reminding yourself that like one thing that you said there really stuck out, like this is the only body you have. And I haven't had my fair share of body um, confidence issues throughout my life. And especially when I was younger, but as I grew older, I started to have those types of realizations. It's like, okay, this is really all I have. It's time to be a little bit more compassionate. And I also think uh, one thing I'd like to add to what you said is um, being compassionate and then also being compassionate with yourself when you're not compassionate too. Because I feel like you start to beat yourself up when you're on a really good train of compassion you're just like okay I love myself but then you start feeling bad and then you start making yourself feel bad for yeah, feeling, feeling bad, bad. <laughs> so it's, more like, it's more of like a cycle and and, and I, I, like I feel like if someone was giving me this advice probably four years ago I'd be like okay but 
I, you just have to get to that place. It's hard, like, but you just have to get to it and understand, do you know what? I'm going to appreciate this body that is keeping me alive. I'm going to appreciate this body. Like, it's more of like not being appreciative of what you've been given. So it's more of like, I'm going to appreciate this and I'm going to live my best life with it. Yes. Yeah, I 100% agree. Um, I wanted to go back to what you were talking about when you were saying that you started the business and everything. Um, Can you walk me through how it was like shifting or pivoting from an events only brand to ready to wear? And how long was that shift? How long did it take? Did it was like three weeks, three months? Yeah couple of months. I started the events. Uh, my business officially started in 2018 when I sold my first dress after I got invited to a fashion show because I was making random clothes and just keeping them in the house. The friend got to know about it. I told me, you know, all the dresses have to be in a fashion show. So it was like a school, um, university mini, um, black students association fashion show. So I showed up with my clothes and probably 10 of them or so asked me what I'm doing with 10 dresses that I wasn't selling. I don't know. Um, um, so I showed up, um, someone, a lady, a, a lady decided to buy my clothes and she was a plus size folk. So she have never seen a coat that fit her. She modeled for me. So she took the clothes home. I'm like, okay, she paid me 65. I can't forget the money she paid me. She paid me $65 for a dress. Wow. I was like, okay, after that, I'm like, okay, I actually have something here. So I started making like uh, ready to make outfits for people wedding dresses and stuff. And I had other jobs when I was, I had other jobs when I was doing that. I was like, okay, this is nice. I was like 2020, I was going to leave my full-time job um, as an administrative um, in a company. I leave my full-time job, I focus on my business. Um, April, I went part-time to focus on my business. Um, um, April, March, COVID happened. May, uh, June, I was laid off. They were laid people off, so they still were do, those that were part time. So, whew. so <laughs> now is June, the peak of COVID. I'm sitting down, looking at my life. I'm like, okay, what do I have? I'm like, the way that I have, I have my skills. That's what I have. I'm like. They would have taken they, they have taken the job from me. COVID have taken my client, not my clients, but the events. Because I have to put school to your pile up in my house. I'm like, okay, that's fine. Um, all this is I was doing it in tears though. <laughs> so I sat down, I was like, what am I going to do? I then started making clothes for myself, um, taking pictures of myself. I'll invite friends over, I'll make clothes for them. Uh, I just wanted to keep the joy alive. Mm-hmm. That's what I was doing. And um, by then I stopped making like all these massive gowns. I started making like pants, simple dresses to style home. I said places to like people were shopping, but it was like maybe one sale in like two months. So like August, I went to there was a competition. Um a brand here, Phil Label was doing uh, for like black designers. And I won the competition. I won like five thousand uh, Canadian dollars. Yes. Yeah, so congratulations. Yeah, I won that in August. I got the money around September. So as I as I won it in August, I already started planning to rebrand. So my the brand Oge RGBC now came in full effect in December. I launched my first collection in December. So what I actually noticed was um 
all those, the time I lost my job, the time I was making clothes with me and my friends taking pictures, I was showing up on Instagram, was preparing me for when I relaunched, when my brand came in full effect in December. Because I was using all those things I learned during lockdown, all those patterns I was making. It didn't take me so much um, physical strength. I just had to like use that to rebrand. So December 2020, I rebranded to Ogi Ajime, you have now. So yes, that's actually the short story, very, very short story of how my rebranding happened and why I'm here. So obviously then I was making clothes for like bigger folks. Most of my clients then were like bigger folks. I didn't find like clothes to go for their children's wedding, to go mm. for like prom. So I was making clothes for them. So it was the right thing to do that rebranding. Why am I going to exclude them? I had to include them in this Thing that I'm beginning to do, mm-hmm. and here I am, and I launched it. I'm like a lot of people loving the brand. Then till now, I'm like, okay, that's so yeah. cool. I love that. Um, I want to switch the conversation a bit more to sustainability and talk a little bit more about um, dead stock. Um, so I actually want to go back in time to our first conversation, where I know it was a long time ago, but we'll try to yes. remember. <laughs> Um, when you were sharing why you built your brand using dead stock or dead fabrics, as you called them, um, do you think you could reiterate why you chose to dead stock in your collections and what inspires you the most about using like dead fabrics? There are a couple of reasons why I love using dead stock. One is quite affordable for like um, designers, small designers like me. Um, two, it gives life to fabrics that have been abandoned. Um, Sustainability, the use of a lot of powder is a part of dead stock, but this is for me. Uh, sustainability, the use of like non helpful fabrics uh, uh, to make our clothing. But what happens to the fabrics that are already made that are dumped? Yeah. I don't get <laughs> Like, someone should give me an answer what should happen to them. Like, should you just still dump them? Exactly. No, we shouldn't. <laughs> yes. Yeah, <so laughs> Oh, if you go to my dead stock, uh, what's it called? Um, the place I shop here in Vancouver. Every day they are bringing in fabrics from all over the world. Japan, China, Dubai, a lot. And these are fabrics that have been dumped for years. They, they just buy it. They reach out to them and they buy it in bulk. Most of the times what they are buying, they don't even know about it. It's more of like they just had the connection as a desktop fabric. And this is how much they are going to pay for this. So what they do, they buy everything. These fabrics have been sitting down there for like probably 20, 30 years. And I'm like, um, designers like me, sustainable designers like me have decided to give lives to this fabric that people have abandoned. So that's my own way when it comes to desktop fabric. It's affordable for me. It's more of like giving lives to fabrics that have been existing, that is also there. Whether sustainability or not sustainability, they just need a home to go to. At least let them do one. Like these fabrics need home. And um, and also for a designer, and also when it comes to colors and prints, I love the colors and prints. I love colors. Um, the options I've seen now is usually when it comes to um, dead stock fabrics. So that's more. That's why most of my brand um, is more of like when it comes to dead stock. I think it's a lot of dead stock because of the prints and colors that they come in. But there's a, there's a, the effects of using dead stock is that when the fabric runs out, you can't find it anymore. So it's kind of unique on its own way that people tend to have that item alone. But like, if more people want it, I can provide it to them just because it's not more available. 
Yeah, that's actually something I was curious about because when I was doing consulting, um, one thing that I would get a lot from brands when I was like, oh, why don't you try Deadstock? A lot of them would be like, well, there isn't a consistency with, you know, the fabric. And I'd love to hear more about like how you deal with that inconsistencies in, in your collection and how you still run like success, like how it still becomes successful in your business, even though there might be, you know, some inconsistencies in fabric or a garment might just go out of stock and never come back kind of thing. Um. Ah, it is, uh, this must sound somehow. <laughs> One thing is getting to do the work. I'll tell you what the work is. And the two is, I'm sorry to say this, but it's time we stop getting attached to clothes and fabrics. <laughs> what they see, trust me, what they see is the money. <laughs> and I know as a small business, I should be all about the money. But time is for someone who cares so much about how people feel. If one person or two people get this and it makes them feel amazing i'm up for it you understand that's a, maybe that's, that's so the, beautiful maybe that's the risk i'm ready to take for my own probably because i'm still a very small brand i'm still a small brand. maybe that's the reason i'm able to take this risk probably the next day maybe it might change i'm not sure but i love to enjoy where i am now so currently this is where i am and when i mean getting the work done when i go to my fabric um, um my dead stock place what i tend to do is <laughs> I'm the one that gives them headache. Do you because most of them they restock, not all, but some of them they do restock. Even mm. though it's dead stock, the people that supply it to them will probably maybe they still have a lot of them. Or at times they might have uh, maybe they bought so many of it and it's still in their warehouse. They might have mm -hmm. thousands of meters. So what I usually do is <laughs> I'm like, do you restock this? No, do you restock this? No, do you restock? I, I can give that like I'll pick out the ones I like and I'm like. Do you restock this? And I noticed most of the denims, they tend to restock. Not all, but most of their denims, um, they tend to restock. So at times, it's simply leaning towards the ones they usually restock. So yeah, that's what I usually do. I just go towards the ones they restock. And at times, I, I tend to do a lot of special collection. So at times, I also lean towards like the, the, the rare fabrics they have for my special collections. Hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, there's a lot of work that goes into it. Um, okay, before we end it here, I wanted to ask, what does, I know sustainability is such a vague term and it can mean so many different things for so many different people. Um, so for you, what does this mean for you and your business? And could you walk me through a few actionable steps in your business that you are taking to that attribute to ethics or responsibility in fashion? I have, I have a whole lot of things when it comes to sustainability because um, I'm from Nigeria. And when I hear people here talk about sustainability, how clothes are being dumped, guess where it's being dumped back in my country? Yeah, 100%. So I'm also kind of at the receiving end. Mm -hmm. So having this in mind, and I, I've, been, I've been in Canada for like eight years, so I wasn't born here. So I've also experienced, is it, like, I don't think people here kind of understand. And Nigeria is only one part of Africa, so it still goes every other part of Africa. So I've also been at the receiving end. I've been interested in fashion for the longest time. So with that in mind, knowing where this growth is going and what the kind of harm is causing, um, that kind of helps me um, 
when it comes to making clothes and using fabrics. So I tend to also try to use fabrics that last more. That's one way I try. Um, just like the denim um, I use from the desktop fabric. And also when it comes to the linen, I, I use, the, you know, it's expensive. Ooh, linen is beautiful, but it's very, very expensive. So one of yes. the sustainable ways is using um, sustainable fabrics, at least fabrics that will not harm the, uh, what's it called, um, the landfill. So yeah, um, it's, it's a whole discussion for me. Yeah, so it's mostly <laughs> focused on waste because yes, of from the, the, yeah. Yes, and uh, uh, people talk about sustainability, but I feel like people should be truthful to themselves because the waste that comes from making one shirt and also when it comes to inclusivity, inclusivity too like the length of meter of a fabric if you fold it so cut trust me there's going to be that one rule and even i will tell you this even us in the sustainable industry we are still trying to find a way to repurpose our waste it's still it's still something hard to date let's mm-hmm. guess the people who has the kind of money to to work on those not small brands like me yeah because all those refinery all those um um recycling, like recycling facilities is not it's not accessible to people like me <laughs> you understand it's accessible to like the bigger brands which i don't know if they're making use of it there's only one place in vancouver bc which is five cycle and yeah. last i had they are they are overwhelmed with um, what's it called scraps they can't even take anymore and i'm like yeah that shouldn't be the case like in every bigger city they should have like 10 to 15 um what's yeah. it called sponsored by governments i'm going to give that to them oh 100 because now they are trying to like save the planet and say but it's not even accessible like if i show you my waist <laughs> that is in my studio like because I'm still sitting on them. I'm planning to use them to be like maybe make pillows for like um, animal shelters. Oh wow, that's beautiful. I thought that yeah, if you for animal shelters, I don't know what again. Um, yeah, I, I saw it online, so I kind of when I have time, I'll cut our fabrics, stuff all of them in. I have like maybe ten bags. so yeah, it's a whole process to kind of go through. I feel like probably. At a time, the designers, more designers will have to come together and maybe in cities, especially designers that make their clothes like me. It's not everybody yeah. that makes their own clothes. Come together and maybe discuss what should we do with these scraps. A lot of people talk about sustainability when it comes to voice meetup, but what are the practical ways? What are we doing? Yes, I'm not a practical person. That's why when I hear people talk about it, I'm like, I'm up for it, but how are we stopping this? How are we stopping waste? You understand, like, when people are not wearing your clothes again, what do you, I've not gotten to that stage in my business, but what are you telling them to do with the clothes? Are they donating it? There's a lot of people who don't have clothes out there. Are they giving it to them? So it's still a discussion that um, I feel like more designers, I'm sorry it have come down to us, but we're the ones that make this for profit. And I feel like we should also learn how to take care of the problems we are creating. I agree. I feel yeah. like that's the part for us now that we can handle. We can only handle what clients do with the clothes when they are done, because you don't know who buys your clothes. But I feel like the only thing we can handle is, um, I don't know, it's, it's a whole discussion. 
Yeah. That we need- and we need more action. Like that's the biggest thing is like, we need to stop talking about it and actually like talk to governments who are saying they're doing so much. Cause like fashion is one of the biggest waste contributors in the world. And yet we're focusing on paper straws instead of like one of the biggest waste contributors, you know, like there is a huge problem and the huge gap in like action. Um, so I, I'm with you hundred percent on that. All right. So I wanted to start like closing it out a bit. And, but before I do, I wanted to ask, what are some ways that individuals can support or advocate for inclusion or inclusivity, even if they aren't necessarily affected by their size? So for example, how could a size four or a size six bring the importance of inclusivity in fashion without making a purchase per se? The one, like one of the practical ways that is, uh, that is, uh, that is, I'm kind of thinking of is, um, I feel like you should check your environment and probably, um, not in an insulting way, but in a caring way, maybe speak to anybody around you who is not like the normal, like a smaller size. Maybe ask them what's your experience with clothing. I hear them. And please just do this to someone that's close to you. <laughs> or, or maybe, oh, I feel like I don't know any online uh, forum that people talks about this, but I'm very, very sure there might be something or, or maybe Reddit or so. I've never checked where people talk about their um, their body and how they feel about it. I'm very sure there will be a documentary on YouTube. I've not looked it up, but I'm very sure there's going to be something out there Um that talks about how bigger folks feel about not finding clues. But if you can't find anything online, but I believe there is something, maybe speak to anybody close to you, um, what their struggle is like. I feel like you just speak to any folks. I'm into women's wear, so I'll speak in terms of that. Maybe speak to them about what's your difficulty in finding clues and hear what they have to say. And probably reach out to your brands and call them out um, to be Mm. accountable. Um, yeah, that's also one way to go about it as someone lies out um, Maybe just for one, step into their shoes and hear what they say when they complain about not finding clothes that fits them. So probably just, that's, I feel like that's the first step, having an idea of what it feels like. You might not be feeling it, but like speaking to someone and them expressing what they feel. Trust me, if someone is close to you, most of the times they'll end up crying <laughs> because it's like, I don't, I just an industry, I just, I actually don't know, but, but yeah, speak to someone and maybe hear it from first hand, or maybe look up people talking about it online, you would definitely hear something, I feel like people understanding what, um, and it is, it does level only about clothes, the world is not built for bigger folks, airplane seats, restaurants, chairs, mm-hmm. public transport chairs, health system, even down to bed control. Like the, the world is not built for them and it's bad, it's wrong because more than half of the women in the world are more than size 16. Yeah. And we are still struggling to exist. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's, yeah. I like the idea of, of calling brands out um, when let's say you're a smaller size and you know you want to advocate it for it because I think, or even if you're a larger size, because 
like this is a, a an issue that you know I think we're living in 2022 this shouldn't be a problem anymore there should be inclusivity of all kinds and I feel like whenever a brand comes out with like an inclusivity campaign they add like one extra like XL but there's no like double XL or triple XL or there isn't real inclusivity they have like one model like I mentioned at the beginning of the episode um where it's like this one person that has this one size and then it sells out quickly because that's what most people are so that is a big one is like asking brands to change their business and the way that they operate because even for myself like I mentioned I gained a bit of weight and I used to be like a size eight and then I went up to a size 14 so I gained quite a bit and I got to a point where I nothing felt good nothing I wore was was fitting and then um when I try to find some new clothes from like some even sustainable brands that I love I couldn't find anything in my size and I'm like well this is freaking ridiculous like this is not right like it's not fair that only when I'm at like an ideal size that that I can wear clothes and that's just and there I go again calling it an ideal size so it's even like (laughs) ingrained in my head (laughs) that's just so it's not not your fault I would say that is um like they call it a lot of they call it straight sizes they call it I don't even know like there's just a whole lot of names for it but yeah I feel like Brands, brands need to. I, I, I'm happy the change. The change is coming, but it's slow. I'm, I'm not. I'm not happy that the fact that the change is slow. Um, but I would say it is all rooted in fat phobia. It's all rooted in the fact that I don't want to show bigger bodies in their brand. Mm-hmm. Um, I see brands come out to make so much noise of how they are increasing their sizes. I was a designer who increased my sizes to 6SL in my bedroom when I was still working from my bedroom alone with textbooks. Textbooks obviously that didn't even give me whatever I needed because textbooks stopped in like size 12. With YouTube videos, with trial and error, alone in my room, figuring out my size. If a niece, me, small me, can do it in my room, that's why if I move to a studio, and bigger sizes coming at them, we've been trying to perfect it for years. You're not doing anything. Yeah, 100%. You know, whatever they come up with, they want to do like a, the whole campaign thing. And I'm like, mm. yeah, I, don't like I also it. find, sorry, go for it. I, no, I don't like it. I don't like when they do that because I know they're lying. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. I was saying like a lot of the time they just make a camp, like a lot of the time when they're like, we're increasing our size inclusivity, it's usually just a campaign. And then you go to their site and it's like, oh, you're just one size up. And then when you get the actual garment, it's actually not that. It's like an inch from yeah. like the previous size. And it's kind of like, well, that's not really a size up. <laughs> like it's a huge discrepancy and even like the thing I wanted to mention about the speed I feel like if brands can come up with new collections every two weeks they can come up with bigger sizes that's that's that part so another part again is uh um um fast fashion and what's it called fast fashion and um not being inclusive not being inclusive in their brands have something to do have something to go hand in hand I mean slow fashion I'm not fast fashion. It takes me time to develop an item. And guess what? Times I'm developing items, I might not only be selling that much because I need the time 
and that was I'm a smaller brand. I need the time to, to do my fitting. Fast fashion moves so fast that they don't have the time to sit down to develop all those things because for them, they are losing out on money. It still comes down to being selfish. It still comes down to trying to move out, ship out items. Fast fashion, I have someone on TikTok say, fast fashion is based on quantity. How many can we sell? That's what I close mm-hmm. up cheap and low quality. They are like, um, let's say Shein or any other brand, maybe they do daily quotas. This day we are going to make 40,000 or 50,000. What are we doing? So they are based on quantity. They're not based on quality. That's not the mm-hmm. difference fast fashion. And when you are based on quantity on selling and selling, you don't take the time to do fitting. And plus size and bigger folks' body is different. It takes time to develop. And what, when you develop something, <laughs> when you develop this pant, I want to develop another pant. You have to do another fitting because things are, it's not just straight. Like some of them have off. Some of them don't have, some of them, the weight is more the tubby. Some of them, the weight is more the back. Some of them, the weight is more the arm. And so you have to take your time to do all this fitting. Mm-hmm. Brands don't want to put in the work. Why? Because they are fast fashion and they need things to be out there. Yeah, 100%. Like if they slow down, they'll be able to do it. But yeah, even most of them that offer fast fashion, they don't even show the bigger folks on their marketing. For some reason, they just expect you to know that they carry plus size. I know. It's yeah. it's so wrong. <laughs> it's so infuriating. Um, okay, so although I am enjoying talking to you so much and I've loved the conversation so far, people are probably getting anxious to get on with their days. Um, so I wanted to ask if the last thing, how can listeners support your brand or yourself? Yeah, I would say the first thing probably follow me on social media. Um, uh, my Instagram is Ajibe Oge. That's um, Oge Ajibe. So I keep it to my face with my last name. It's Oge Ajibe, which is O G E A J I B E um, on Instagram. Like, if you go there, you're going to see my website. I'm going to see everything you need to know about me. Um, so <laughs> start from following me if you're able to shop fine. If not, just follow the journey. My Instagram is entertaining. I, I, I kept it that way. You get lost with watching my videos. <laughs> I do, I do. I love your Instagram. It's the best. Yeah, and your so, models, I've been wanting to compliment them, tell them that they are so beautiful. Like the energy they bring into the camera is just top quality. Yeah, so yeah. Energy means energy means a lot to me. So I'm always trying to pick the right ones that kind of just put the energy out there. So yeah, you can just follow me on Instagram and my website is mtogeajibe.com. So uh, Google me, you find everything about me online. And let's chat. Trust me, I'm open to having these discussions like 100 times. I don't get to have them all the time uh, because the world is still catching up when it comes to sustainability, inclusivity, um, how fashion makes us feel, the joy of fashion. Trust me, I don't have it all the time. So whenever I get the chance to, Oh, I'm out there having it. I'm out there talking about it. So. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, well, thank you so much again for joining the podcast. It was amazing having you here. And I can't wait to chat with you more on Instagram. No thank you so much.